0: Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you in the house of the Lord uh, this morning, this uh, wonderful, foggy Sunday morning. Um, You know, last Sunday, I met this gal in Crystal from City College, uh, and it dawned on me, I think I missed City College coming into school. Is that true? I thought they were coming in. I'm so sorry. I've been greeting all of these schools, but City College has been in. Hey, anyone in here from City College, we're so glad that you're here with us. And by the way... Good job getting into one of the most beautiful schools on the planet. One of the most highly rated city colleges in the country at a fraction of the price of any of the other colleges in Santa Barbara. Anyone else? Did I miss anyone else? UCSB? I did that a couple of weeks ago. Or no. No, I didn't. Okay, good. But they're not in yet, right? Tomorrow. Yesterday. Oh. UCSB! (laughs) So I never know when UCSB is going to come in. It's it's always a mystery, but I'm so glad that you're here. (laughs) I love UCSB. So much energy. Anyone else? Brooks Institute of Photography? I don't know. Well, anyway, young and old, college alumni, college dropout, uh, we are... Thankful that you are with us in the house of God to do one thing, to do one thing only, to center our mind and our attention on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, together as a church. That is is the unique thing about Sunday morning. It is not the only time that we exist as a church, but it is a unique time in which we gather together uh, in unison uh, in one faith and we together look at Christ. Uh, And we leave with with that uh, motivation to love Him, to be with Him, but also to be on mission with the Son of God. And so that's what we do on Sunday mornings in a variety of ways. One of those ways is by studying the Word. Uh, If this is your first Sunday, we just started a series through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua. Uh, We're studying the first half of Joshua right now in a series called Stepping into God's Promises. And this has been a series largely about God's promises to his people, both Israel and us today, and what it means to apprehend those promises that already are ours. Uh, and that's been, the, that's been the driving theme of the series. We have been camped out. Uh, this is our third week in uh, verse 1 through 9. Because that first paragraph of Joshua doesn't just function as an introduction to the rest of the book, But it also functions as a summary of the rest of the book. So if we can study those first nine verses and really get a a hold of that, we'll we'll know kind of what's going to come after that for the duration of our series. And what we've seen so far, and what we're going to finish seeing today, in that first paragraph, the intro and summary to Joshua, has been these three themes. The first one, the first week, has been God's incredible, generous uh, promises to his people. Uh, our inheritance. And the second thing that we saw is how to tap into those promises. One of those ways has been through the word of God, through the scriptures, that we ought to be reading them, not just reading them, obeying them, and also meditating on them. This, this must be our life. Uh, and the third thing that we're going to see in this paragraph that we're uh, uh, talking about today is this theme of God's presence In this passage and all throughout the book of Joshua. That's what I want to camp out on today as we read specifically verses 5 and 9. But just for the sake of context, I'm just going to read all nine verses because why not? Why not? Starting in verse 1. Just to recap where we've gone, I'm going to start at 1 and at 9. This is God's word. It says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses'. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Not just to know what your word says, but to be changed and transformed by it. We've often said at this church that a moment in the presence of God can answer a lifetime of doubts. Perhaps there are some people in this room today who are, are racked with doubt, with guilt, with shame, confusion, anxiety, anger. It's only one solution for that. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive, to be aware of, to be present with the living God who is even right now with us as you promised. We pray that we would leave this place diving in more deeply into the promises that you have made to your people. And I pray that it would change us. I pray that it would change the way that we live, the way that we interact with our friends, the way that we go to work, the way that we treat our families, our spouses, our kids, our parents, the way that we treat our enemies. Change us, God. Teach us today to observe all that the Lord has commanded us because, lo, you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. We pray these things in Jesus' name. About five years ago, a Serbian performance artist by the name of Marina, uh, Marina Abramovic sat in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City in silence during museum hours every day for a duration of three months, making eye contact with whoever wanted to sit down at the table across from her the experience and the fallout that came out of that experiment uh, was huge and caused a variety of other experiments uh, to kind of flow out of that. Just to give you an uh, an experience yourself, why don't you just turn to someone next to you that you don't know and stare at them for about 60 seconds. Go. Just kidding. Don't do that. You don't have to do it because hundreds of people have already done this experiment. You're off the hook. There was a group uh, by the name of the Liberators International who decided to take this experiment to a a, a different level. They called it the Eye Contact with Strangers Experiment. You can search that on YouTube and watch it yourself. It's just a few minutes long. Uh, When this clip opens up, you see this box and it has a sign on it just in the middle of the street in this uh, bustling city this experiment taking place uh, in a variety of large cities, the sign said, What happened to human connection? And right next to it, it said, Come and find out. Sit down and stare at a stranger for 60 seconds. And at first, you know, people just kind of walked by. You could watch this video clip yourself, and they'd, they'd be kind of weirded out by it, but uh, eventually one woman sat down and tried it out, and after her, another person would do the same thing. And after a few minutes, to the shock of the Person, uh, persons putting on the experiment, there were crowds around this little zone in the city. Not just watching, but lining up to stare at a stranger. Human, uh, this was an experiment showing the deep feelings and chasms between human connection and isolation. And as you watch this video, and you should, it's, it's incredible, you saw a range of human emotions being experiment, uh, uh, experienced in this experiment. Everything from uh, smiles. You know, the person sitting down would just break out in a smile. One person reached out and just hugged the, the stranger across from them just, just uh, for no reason. Others broke out in laughter. One, a, a couple other persons uh, actually broke down in tears. One person who did the experiment was quoted as saying, it's, it's incredible how profound the experience of sharing a meaningful connection with another member of the public can be. What this experiment showed those people and us today is something that we really, I think, inherently know, but was seen and felt intensely. And that is this. We long for deep relationship and deep connectivity with other people. We have to have it. We long for it. Now, I'm not talking about mere proximity to people, right, which all of us have right now. I'm sitting next to hundreds of people. Big cities are notorious for being in proximity to millions of people, yet people feeling lonely. I'm not talking about mere proximity. I'm talking about presence. To be in the presence of another person, connecting with them deeply. We long for that very thing. We long for deep connection, which only seems to happen when the person on the other end of the table is present with us. Not on their phones, not on their devices, not multitasking, not thinking about their day. Present. This is what this experiment uh, showed Many people. You ever talk to someone who is on their device or on their phone or thinking about something or their mind is somewhere else? Do you, do you know that, that disconnect that you feel? By contrast with that, you ever talk to someone and they're just kind of like staring just straight into your eyes? I always get so disarmed by that. I'm like, oh, don't look at me. You're not supposed to look at the person that's talking to you. It's weird. But then as I lock eyes, there's just something crazy that happens in 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 the person's soul it's meant to happen i think my aversion to it is something wrong with me that i'm i'm certainly not used to that level of connection but we have a longing for stuff like that we have a longing for someone else to be present with us not just in proximity to us and we tend to fall apart when we lose it think of extreme examples of that like solitary confinement People lose their minds when they're cut off from people's presence. How interesting, I think, that God, as he's making a promise to Israel in, these, uh, in verse 5 and verse 9, addresses, I don't know if he means to do this. I don't know the mind of God in this situation. I just think it's interesting that he addresses many of the fears that we all tend to have when we lose deep connection with people. Look at some of the things that he's saying. He, he speaks about opposition, right? No man shall, uh, shall be able to stand before you. No one will oppose you. That's a deep human fear. That when we step out to do something, that someone else might, uh, might thwart our plans or come against us. In one line he says, just as I was with, uh, with Moses, so I will be with you. There's Even if you read the narrative of Joshua and Deuteronomy and the narrative of Israel, there's this huge deep-seated fear that, uh, that no one is like Moses. Even transitioning into Joshua as it opens up with the death of Moses, there's this underlying fear. That something needs to happen, that something is wrong. Our leader, Moses, the one who had said, uh, talked to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The guy who parted the Red Sea, by the hand of God. The guy who rescued Israel from the hands of Egypt, a superpower, by the hand of God. But it was this leader who's now dead. And there's a sense interwoven throughout this, the opening of Joshua, like, what are we going to do? And God addresses that fear, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Joshua, he addresses a, uh, what, what looks like the fear of abandonment when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He addresses fear, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, there's distress. All of these things that, are, that, uh, that tend to have to do with a lack of presence or connectivity with other people. When our relationships break down, these are some of the things that we feel. Opposition, comparison, fear, abandonment. You can imagine Israel's thoughts right now, can't you? This is too big. Just, just fall into their minds for a second and imagine what they might be thinking of as, as Joshua. This, you know Moses Jr. is leading them uh, to, to unreached heights. Whoa, this is too big. We should have stayed where we, we had, at least the, there was manna falling on the ground, like we had it. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. And you know, what about the Hittites? He speaks about in verse verse uh, four or five like we're Israel we're just a little marginalized people the Hittites are a mega superpower and they hate us we're supposed to roll into their land is Joshua even ready for this am I ready for this I'm scared perhaps this is a parallel to things that you're feeling or thinking right now what are your thoughts in life Perhaps you would say similar things. God is calling me into something right now that is uncomfortable. What if my friends and family don't support me? Opposition, right? What if that person over there takes advantage of my act of faith? What if I'm not ready? Comparison. That person is better than me. I'm not even in that in that place yet. I don't even trust myself. What if I fail? What if, I, what if I fail multiple times? What if I can't do this? What if people uh, uh, shame me? What if I am ashamed and humiliated by what ha- All of these lists of things that ultimately boil down to us saying, I'm scared too, Israel. <laughs> and how does God address Israel's fears? How does God address your fears? Whatever those happen to be right now, over and over, God addresses the fears of his people with his tangible palpable presence. The promise of God's presence. If we have a deep longing for someone to be present with us, God meets our longing with the promise of his presence. And he says in verse five, hey, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Remember what Jesus said uh, uh, in the sermon from a couple uh, weeks ago? The same thing that God would say to Israel when he called his disciples. He called them to first be with him, And then he would send them out. God has not changed in centuries. He would say in verse 9, Don't be frightened. Are you afraid? Are you dismayed? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God continually answers the fears and the apprehensions and the concerns of his people. Not with to-do lists not with duties, not with commands, even not with laws, always and primarily with his presence out of which those other things may come. It's always his presence. He answers our fears by tapping into our greatest hope that someone out there would be present with us and connected to us in a transformational way. God steps down and he says, I want to be connected to you. Soul to soul, mind to mind, heart to heart. I want to be present with you. In fact, our longing for connectivity with other people, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see the design of God without getting into it uh, in too much detail. That narrative teaches us that our longing to be connected with people, to be in deep relationship with people, actually comes from a deeper, innate desire to be connected to our God. We were made to be connected to God not just cognitively, although certainly that, not just having right answers and right doctrines and right theology, although those are all important, but to be connected to him by our soul, for our souls to be connected to the living God. As a man speaks to his friend, it was said of Moses, to experience his life-giving presence. That's why you see... All throughout the Bible, especially the Psalms, people like David saying things like, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. You're like water to my soul. Psalm 84, verse 1 through 2, how lovely is your dwelling place. Again, again, spatial language to speak about God's presence. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Soul, heart, flesh, the whole human person longing to be connected in the presence of God. In fact, this is the very thing we were made for. God calls us to be on mission with him. He calls us to be a blessing to the nations. He calls us to a lot of things, but our primary calling that we looked at in Jesus' own words a few weeks ago is to be with him. Being in God's presence is our primary purpose out of which all those other good things flow from. Look at this unbelievable passage in Acts chapter 17 when when Paul is preaching. He says in verse 26, it's from one man that God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, right? So God made people. is Paul's roundabout, tangent way of saying something very simple. But listen to what he says right after that. God did this so that, so that. In other words, God made you so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God made you for the express purpose that you would find him. And to make it a little bit easier, it's almost as if he put himself right in front of you. I play hide and seek with my kids. It's awesome. And they cheat a little bit. You know, my, my daughter will count to ten like in a second and she'll have her eyes open. She's watching where I'm going because she wants to find me. She hasn't necessarily discovered the joy of, of searching uh, she just wants to know where I am, and it doesn't really matter if she has to find me. Sometimes she'll follow me to my hiding place as we're playing hide-and-go-seek, and go seek, she'll just be like this. Jude does the same thing. They do it together, and they're just like counting. One, two, ten, seventy, found ya! <laughs> Call me naive, but that almost seems like what God has done with humanity. He created you. He's standing right in front of you, and he's saying, count to Ten. Found you. <laughs> and then Paul, in case it hasn't been driven home enough, gives us our purpose for existing right after that. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Some translations say, in him we have our, uh, we have our existence. We exist in and through him. That's what we were made for. Everything else is just an added benefit. Everything that comes out of the Christian life is just something that's a a direct result of the life-giving presence of God. But that's what you were made for, man. That's what you were made for. A.W. Tozer would once say, we were called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. We were made to be in His presence, looking into the fullness of His wonder and glory. And being satisfied. Not only is this what answers our fears. Not only is it our purpose for existing. But it's also what God promises to give to us in full. To anyone who desires to have it. I love what the psalmist would say in Psalm 145 verse 18. He says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. And my question to you today is what are you afraid of in life? What's that thing that you woke up this morning thinking about? Perhaps that you're thinking of right now that you can't shake. What is that thing that you go to bed thinking about at night? What is shaking you up right now? And I want you to take that, and I want you to imagine 60 seconds of uninterrupted eye contact with God. And ask yourself this question: Would that help? Would that change anything? It certainly did for David. King David, who would say in Psalm 23: Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Perhaps you're saying, I can't even imagine that. First of all, I can't see God. I don't even know how to imagine him. He's a spiritual whatever. Well, think about Jesus, who the book of Hebrews says is the exact imprint of God's nature. Picture Jesus, the same one who calmed the storm with the disciples in the midst of the storm with you, across the seat from you. Forget about me. Forget about people next to you. Imagine Jesus across from you right now, staring into your eyes for 60 seconds. a moment in the presence of God can answer a lifetime of questions. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, God tells us, hey, this isn't just something that I did in the storm for the disciples, but when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You'll find over time, soaking in the presence of God, Experiencing and sensing and being aware of the presence of God as you are filled up by that very thing that you were created for you'll find over time that you are actually able to be present with other people have you ever noticed how technology and work and multitasking and our scattered thoughts so often threaten to make us unpresent perhaps you come home from work you sit down on the couch you turn on the TV disconnected from your family, from your kids, from God. Maybe it's not TV. Maybe you just can't stop working. Maybe the moment you wake up in the morning, you open up your email. And as soon as you go to bed at night, you're looking at your email, just trying to stay ahead of the ball. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's, a, you know, your, your device. You just can't stop looking at it. Maybe it's social media. I just have to see likes, comments. I have to interact Maybe you keep telling yourself that it has to do with your work and your business and your brand, but deep down, you just have to have some stimulation in your life. Maybe you're a workaholic. Maybe you're a multitasker. Maybe multitasking is actually a gift for you and you're great at it. You just can't turn it off. You come home, you sit down, you could be in the presence of God or other people, but you just can't turn your mind off. I want you to imagine right now what the freedom of being fully present would be like. There have been times when I've come home, and I feel that way, you know. Like I just, so over this day, just want to sit and veg. That's my word. That's my word of justification. I just want to veg. Open up my phone, laptop, Netflix, whatever, and there's my daughter. There's Abby and there's Jude. They're playing, they're screaming, they're jumping on me. Daddy came home. Looking back, there I've seen those moments where I have the greatest gift just right there in front of me. It just wants my full blown attention, and I'm just like this. You ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way because of someone else? Have you ever felt the freedom and liberation? of detaching from those things that always vie for your attention. I have. I left my phone in my room. And I got down on my knees and I made eye contact with my daughter. And her face lit up. Being in God's presence fills us up so that we can even be present fully with other people. What would that be like for us to experience if we were to be honest, unfortunately, many of our days, sometimes a lot of my days, are spent unpresent with God and other people. I get burnt out because of it. We get torn in half because of it in a million different places. We get dry inside. Our souls are emaciated and thirsty. Because, just like the promise to Joshua, that theme throughout this book, God makes the promise to Joshua. He makes a promise to Israel. He makes a promise to God's people. And it is guaranteed. It is a promise to us uh, uh, from God to us that will not be broken. But we still have to step out, believe, and receive in those promises by faith. And it's the same thing with the presence of God. Perhaps you're hearing this and you're saying, I see the benefit of being in God's presence. I see the beauty of it. I could really use God's presence right now, but I have never sensed it. I have never felt it. I have never heard of it. I have never known it. And I've been a Christian for 20 years or whatever. I've been a Christian for, you know, a couple weeks. How do you sense God's presence? If you look at the pattern set out by Jesus himself when he experienced the presence of the Father, it's actually pretty simple. It's just difficult. It's simple and difficult. I just want to give you two things from the life of Jesus. The first one is by being present with the God who is present. That's such a simple concept, but it's really hard once you try to do it, right? Being present with the God that you cannot see, that you cannot always hear. Being present present with a family member, being present with my daughter, sometimes means me turning things off, getting on my knees, and looking intently at her eyes. There was an Ignatian uh, woman who was once asked, who uh, was noticed to have a deep prayer life, was once asked to describe what prayer was to her. She simply responded, I look at God, and God looks at me. Eye contact being present is difficult for us because of that thing that we 've always talked about for a number of weeks that we are truly a busy people in Santa Barbara. You have to hustle to make it here. that usually means multiple jobs, it means uh, commuting it means a variety of different tasks, a variety of responsibilities. Uh, let alone just trying to have some friends who are also going through all of those things. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of a hustle, we're expected to make space for God. And being present with God in a city like Santa Barbara sometimes means that you have to step away from other things. Sometimes it means that you have to step away from yourself. One of the most powerful things that some of you could ever do in your spiritual walk with God is to experience the intense, unforgiving spiritual practice of silence and solitude. Have you ever just sat in a chair with no agenda, waiting on God, not thinking about anything except for Him, For 10 minutes. Whenever we enter into solitude, away from people and away from our responsibilities, away from things for a moment and in silence, we're stripping away the noise in order to be with God. Sometimes it's hard. Let's just try it right now. I know we can't get solitude because, you know, 400 people in the room. But for 30 seconds, just close your eyes. Believe that God is present with us. And let's just rest in his presence together and see what happens. Okay. what happened for some of you might say well I, I, I couldn't stop thinking of things is that anyone's experience I'm silent but my mind is loud I might say others of you would say this is incredibly uncomfortable I don't like this I come to church to hear noise. So, start preaching. Some of you might get anxious. Others of you might actually experience a note of rest. If you've never done that before, you might just, uh, that that first thing, you might just say... "Ah." I just can't stop thinking. Like every time I I try to think on the presence of God, there's just so many thoughts in my mind. I, I think about that email that I read this morning. I think about the checklist that I have to do later this week. I think about this problem. I think about paying my rent. I think about all of these things. You know what that is? It is your the insatiable appetite of your mind that wants to be busy and productive, because it longs to be filled going berserk. So it's actually a good thing if that's something that you experience. That's actually a good thing. It is you confronting some of those things that's happening inside you. And silence and solitude, just just to be by yourself. That was just 30 seconds. Imagine doing that for 10 minutes. Maybe before you went to work, maybe ha- uh, maybe on your lunch break, just sitting in a chair, closing your eyes, maybe thinking of a scripture to start your, your, your uh, experience of prayer and just being silent before the Lord with no agenda. It's going to start off as a battle in your mind because you're so busy. Part of sensing God's presence is leaving the busyness behind even just for a few minutes. To be present with the God who is present. In those moments when your mind is going crazy, something that you could do is just take a word. I I suggest a word from scripture. Like we did last week. If any of you were here last week, we practiced uh, Lectio Divina, where we we read scripture and meditated on it. And I told you to take uh, any word that kind of surfaced, that maybe God was highlighting, that's your word. That's something that God wants to minister to you and to receive it as a gift. You could take something like that. For me last week, uh, we read Ephesians chapter three, and there was a line in there w- in which Paul says uh, uh, about the love of God that uh, that we will not uh, we would understand the depth of the love of God. And so for me, God was ministering to me that word deep. And so in a moment of silence, I might just be sitting there, and maybe my mind is going berserk. Oh my gosh, I just got so much to do, and I hate this, and nothing's happening, and I don't feel God, and I hate this, and I'm never going to listen to that preacher again and then I'll just remember that word that God spoke through his word, deep. I'm not going to be satisfied with with the surface. God wants to take me deep. I'm going to stay here deep. Allowing that word to bring my attention back to the God who is present. This might be a frustrating practice with a lot of us. I know it is with me because we sometimes love to be productive, and we drag that into our prayer life. I love this quote by James Martin who said, The notion that you could meet with God without doing anything may seem bizarre. But prayer is not about producing or doing or achieving. It's about being. Or rather, being with. This is what silence and solitude helps to carve out for us. It carves out space in a busy world. Second thing that we could practice doing is simply being aware. And this is simply detaching from the things that rob our attention from God. Because you, be you could be in the Sierra Mountains in solitude and in silence before God thinking about a bunch of other things. Sometimes we've got to cut off technology. We have to leave work at the office. We have to shut off our email. We have to leave our devices in the car at home. Our leftover anxiety, we have to practice giving to God. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you, Peter says turning off the TV, all of that stuff. Sometimes we have to turn certain things off in order to be present and aware of God's presence. And these things that crowd our minds so that we cannot be present with God and with others and turn them off. Not forever. But what would your life look like if you did this for 10 minutes a day? Five minutes a day. You were present, and aware of God as much as you can by the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that if we took that seriously, we saw what Jesus did when he modeled this to his disciples to come away uh, to a desolate place and rest for a while. As he often retreated to a mountain in the midst of a busy life. Some of you are saying, you know, I don't have time to do 10 minutes. I am a busy person. Well, so is Jesus. You think you're busier than Jesus? Jesus? Let me think. Destroy the works of the devil, uh, redeem sinners from all of humanity, billions of souls, uh, establish and inaugurate God's kingdom, and uh, grow up into his mid-30s without any sin. Oh, busy. (laughs) Yet he saw the importance of being present with his father, of being aware of his father's presence and of drinking deeply of that. I imagine that if some of you tried it, it would be clumsy at first. It would be difficult because mind thoughts. But if you kept at it, I think some of your spiritual inner lives would be revolutionized. And I think you would experience, maybe some of you for the first time, what it means to be present with God and maybe even with other people. In a culture where 60 seconds of uninterrupted eye contact with a stranger can lift the soul to new heights to the point of tears, The God who is ever-present calls on us to carve time to be present with Him. What would that be like if we actually tried it? The last thing I want to address, and perhaps this is a question some of you are asking right now, is, well, what about when I don't feel God's presence? Sometimes we don't feel His presence, we don't hear Him, we don't sense Him. It feels like He's not there, like He has abandoned us. The place that we have to start with this is what God says to Joshua in the middle of these verses, I will not leave you or forsake you. That's not to say you're not going to hit those moments in life where it feels like he's gone. There's going to be those dark, dry seasons of the soul. There's going to be those seasons in the Christian life where you do not sense him, where you do not feel him, where it seems like he's not there. But we have to navigate those seasons by what we do know for sure, that even when we don't feel him, he will not leave you or forsake you. Even when you feel like you are going through a dry spell. Even when you feel like God is against you. Even when you feel like you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. I am still with you. Even when you sin and you are ashamed and you are humiliated. And there is dirt deep down in your heart that you wish nobody else would find out. But you, uh, you intuitively know that God still knows. He is with you. Even when you fail and everybody else has rejected you, he is with you. If there's anything that you can take out of this room today, it is the established, unshakable fact and promise that regardless of what anything happens in your life, regardless of your changing circumstances and your changing nature and your uh, constant mistakes, God's nature and his promises will never change because of you. He is with you now, and He will be with you later, even when you don't feel Him. But it kind of begs the question why do we sometimes feel those seasons of disconnect? Am I doing something wrong? Is God like trying to tell me that I'm like on His, you know, His his bad list? Am I not pressing in enough? Is He teaching me a lesson? How can he tell me that he's present with me when there are these moments where I sense him and these moments when I don't? What about the moments when I don't? Scripture seems to show us, we see this all throughout the Bible, that there is this truth that hidden sin in our life cuts us off from the blessings of God. It does not mean that God leaves us. It means that we have cut ourselves off from his presence which is actually there. We see this in the life of Israel. All of this land was promised to Israel. That entire first generation chose by their own rebellion and stubbornness to not apprehend those promises. Are you living in such a way as to cut off the flow of God's presence in your life? The answer for you is to repent of those things, even to ask God, maybe I don't even know. Maybe there's something I'm not even self-aware of. God, uh, as the Psalms declare, examine my heart and show me any wayward way within me. But for some of you, it might not even be a hidden sin. It might just be noise and busyness in your life. You might be so full of other outside stimulus that you just can't hear and sense and know God's presence, which is around you. And for you, you just need to be made aware of God's presence. For you, maybe you need to be more present through solitude and silence. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a time of pressing in and detaching from things that are, 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 are robbing you of your attention. The third thing is, it might not be anything wrong, any sin, or anything faulty that you're doing, but it could just be, God bringing you to a place of maturity and to a deeper spot than you've ever been. This is really counterintuitive because we expect that in our growth we'll sense joy and we'll sense those outer feelings that are good. We never expect that it's through darkness and lowliness and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, discouragement and trial that God would ever Will are good. But we see that also in scripture. We studied that all throughout the book of 1 Peter. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, you know that, uh, that paragraph where John says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And he says that again. He addresses the same people. And he keeps repeating himself, the same people. Children, fathers, young men. Children, fathers, young men. Most people throughout history have understood this to be John speaking about a growth in levels of maturity. That God is actually bringing you from a place of infancy to a place of spiritual maturity. And how does he do that? Yes, he does it through his felt presence. Yes, he does it through the good things that we know and experience from him. But he also uses hard places. He also uses hard things. And you have to believe that if you've ever read the book of Job. Job who lost everything. And not just lost everything, but in the midst of losing everything, couldn't hear God, couldn't sense God for all uh, intents and purposes, felt like God had abandoned him. And yet Job It's said in the book of Job that when he spoke, he never sinned against God. He was one of the most righteous people on the face of the planet, upright and a man of integrity. So good was he that Satan hated him and came out and attacked him. So it wasn't because of anything that he did wrong that he went through those things. And yet, as he goes through all of that loss and suffering, and even as he goes through a period in his life that we might call a a spiritual dryness, where he doesn't sense God in the midst of his suffering, God is working in him beautiful things. So much so that in Job chapter 42, verse 5, listen to what he says. Job, after all of that, when God finally does show up, Job says, I heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. You see what he's saying? He's saying that in a season where he had everything that he needed, he had a relationship with God, he had wealth, he had prosperity, he had family, he had relationships, he had the consolation of God's presence, it was only a level of maturity. I heard you with the hearing of my ear. After going through a dark night, clinging to the Lord, he was able to say, I'm experiencing you on a deeper level than ever before. I see you with my eyes. Eye contact. Throughout the centuries, spiritual writers have described this. Uh, one in particular, John of the Cross, described that spiritual dryness as a dark night of the soul. Maybe you're going through one right now. By dark night of the soul, I don't mean you're going through suffering per se, but that God s- doesn't seem to be near. Now, I'm not talking to people who are in sin or busy for them. You just need to repent of those things. I'm talking to the, to the man or to the woman who has been pressing in, who has been faithful, who loves God, who is trying hard to seek first the kingdom of God, and from your pers- perspective, God is nowhere to be seen. John of the cross in the 16th century, hundreds of years ago, experienced this as well. And he actually wrote an entire book called The Dark Night of the Soul based on the New Testament where he, uh, he and many other writers before and after him wrestling with this. Why does God do that? Came to the conclusion from Scripture that it's God's desire to take us from one level to a deeper level of experiencing his presence. Now, as baby Christians, we often start... Uh, just tasting very deeply. Oh, you you know, when you, you get saved, you open up the Bible, and oh my gosh, every verse is on fire. And when I pray, it is so beautiful. And when I sing, God's glory falls, and everything's just so easy. It is the grace of God on people who just discovered him to pour his spirit out on them. And yet there's still things deep down inside that God wants to purge and to prune. And what John of the cross would later write is that God sometimes brings us into a place where we can't see him that easily. We can't sense him that easily so that we can press in persistently and grow in the deeper places. I just want to end by giving you this quote from him. It's 100 years ago, so it's a little weird and archaic, but I'll explain it as I go. John of the cross, he says, God sometimes leaves his people so completely in the dark that they know not with their sensible imagination and meditation, for they cannot advance a step in meditation. Their inward senses being submerged in this night and left with such dryness that not only do they experience no pleasure or consolation in the spiritual things and good exercises wherein they were wont to find their delights and pleasures, but instead, on the contrary, they find insipidity and bitterness in the said things. In other words, What John is saying is, no matter how hard these Christians try to press in, it's drier and it's darker and it's more depressing and it's more discouraging than ever before. Why? He'd go on to say, For as I have said, God now sees that they have grown a little and are becoming strong enough to lay aside their swaddling clothes. So he takes them down from his arms and teaches them to walk on their own feet which they feel to be very strange, for everything seems to be going wrong with them. Why the dark night of the soul? Because God loves us. And he doesn't want to, to settle for the easy experiences of God. He actually wants to transform us in the deepest levels. And so there are times when it seems like he is silent and it seems like he is not there but he will not leave you or forsake you. To those of you that are going through spiritual dryness, press in harder than you've ever pressed in before. And do not let up until he shows his face again. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And as we pursue him in song, I just want you to think of God's heart, to be present with his people. In your pain, in your sorrow, and your loss, but also in your joy, in your celebration, in the mundane and in the ordinary. God's promise, the promise of the gospel, is not, you be present with me. The promise of the gospel is, I have come to be present with you. And nowhere do we see this promise more deeply and more vividly in the giving of his son. In fact, in Matthew it's said that when Jesus was born, they named him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this God in the flesh would step down into our business, make his home with us, make eye contact with his disciples, change their lives forever, die on the cross to remove all of those noisy obstacles that kept us at a distance from God in order to bring us near to God. He would rise from the dead to give us that very same supernatural power. Ascend to heaven, exchanging with him the power and the presence and the, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So that we wouldn't just see Jesus. We wouldn't just see God uh, in human flesh three feet away. But we would experience the life-giving presence of God in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe what you need today is not a list of to-dos more morals to follow and a list of other commandments. Maybe what you need today isn't groupthink and problem-solving books and literature and good ideas, scientific inquiry and the list of things that we huddle together to fix all of our problems. Maybe what you need right now is to just sit in God's presence. So let's just do that today. There's carpets at the front if you want to kneel before him. There's the bread and the cup to the left and to the right. If you want to experience the presence of God in a very visceral and tangible way, as Paul said, you lift those things up and you you proclaim his death until the day that he comes. You're stimulating your faith to believe in his promise. you need prayer there's prayer teams to the left and to the right these things are also up on the mezzanine floor those of you that are up there but let's just let's just try as well as we can by the assistance of the Holy Spirit to create space and to be fully present to turn off the noise as well as we can the thoughts that are running rampant in our minds right now And to just sit in the stillness with God. Let the words on the screen, the worship songs that we're singing, be an assistance to you. Dragging your eyes onto the hope and the, the author and the constructor of our faith. And let's just not be in a hurry. Where do you have to go right now? Let's just sit and be ministered to by the God who is present right now with his people. Faith can move the mountains, then let the-